Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. New edition of the show. We're breaking down every AFC team today. And by we, I mean myself and PFF's finest, Kevin Cole. Kevin, we've done these Thursday pods throughout the season. I thought they were good. And then we decided, why only talk once a week? We're going to talk twice. And we're going to have, you know, a little bit more of a plan this time. Although I know you are a fan of a little bit of improv here and there. But basically, now throughout the rest of the season, on Wednesday, we're going to be going through each and every team in the AFC. And then each and every team in the NFC. Going over some real life stuff. Looking ahead in the matchup a little bit. Getting some fantasy plays. Just a bunch of cool shit, man. Why the hell not? Yeah, let, let's do it. And let me tell you, I, I I like the improv, but I also prepared. I have notes here for all of these different AFC teams, except for one. For one team, there are no notes, but there's a section there um, with just my dried tears. There's nothing but my dried tears. Can you guess which team in the AFC just has my dried tears there? Um, Texans? Are they that gross? But I feel yeah, like you I wouldn't, mean, be, you wouldn't be crying we're, over them. We're not crying too much over the, over the Texans, I don't think. I'll give you, I'll give you one more guess. Colts. Nah, close, but, you know, whatever. I think Pittman will be fine when he comes back. This Pittsburgh Steelers. Pittsburgh Steelers. Oh. Nothing but dried tears there. I mean, like Najee Harris, this guy was a late first-round pick and then a second-round pick. I mean, Deontay Johnson, I guess you're still starting him, right? You got no choice. So you're, you're, you're starting him, although – He's, you know, maybe like a wide receiver three-ish sort of guys this season. Uh, Pickens and Claypool are almost unstartable at this point. Just a lot of bad, a lot of bad. Fryermuth, I mean, whatever, you might get lucky and get a touchdown every week, but just a lot of bad going on over there. I actually uh, tweeted right before the show how Deontay Johnson threw two games, 13 catches for 112 scoreless yards. I've never been more convinced that he's truly an elite receiver, Kevin. But unfortunately, <laughs> that's life uh, with Mitch Trubisky under center. More on the Steelers in just a bit. Let's kick things off with the basically, you know, Super Bowl favorites right now. The Bills, 2-0 and right now, looking unstoppable. And Kevin, Stefan Diggs, the NFL's wide receiver one at this point. I know we talk about Tyreek and Devontae Adams and everything, but it did seem weird, like real life and fantasy, how he just didn't seem to be in that top, top tier. A lot of people had him ranked fourth going to the season. No one's saying Stefan Diggs is bad, but for your money's worth, Kevin, Stefan Diggs, the wide receiver one in the NFL. Uh, I'm going to say no. I mean, I think it's as good as anyone, maybe talent-wise, if you want to talk about that sort of thing. I would have trouble ranking him above, you know, Cooper Cup, probably even Justin Jefferson. I know Justin Jefferson had – the other team was catching all of his targets last uh, last week, so that didn't help. But I just put him in that next category, and just you can't say he's definitively, I think, below anyone else in the NFL right now, other than maybe those two guys from a fantasy perspective. 
pure madness so far. He's caught 20 of 23 targets, 270 yards, four touchdowns. The number one fantasy player, regardless of position. Fantastic matchup this week. They're going to Miami. Buffalo's a five and a half point favorite. Game total, whew, 53. Expecting plenty of points to be going up there. With that said, we know Josh is in there. We know Dix is in there. What other – it's weird, man. We have arguably the best offense in the league, and other than Diggs and Allen, we can't really feel good about anyone if Gabriel Davis is going to be out again. We had Jake Kumaro actually leading all the wide receivers and snaps. I think a lot of us were hoping McKenzie and Crowder would just kind of take that role. The three-headed backfield continues to persist. So it's weird, Kevin, but again, other than Stefan Diggs, and if he's active, Gabriel Davis, I don't think we can feel good about any of these skill position players. Dawson Knox to an extent, but you know what? Yeah, I mean, Dawson Knox, we talked about him a little bit last week where he is, a, he's, you know, a guy attached to a high-powered offense, so that's good, but he's not necessarily a reliable option. Kumaro played a lot of snaps, but he seemed to take the the role that gets Gabe Davis a lot of snaps, or one of the roles that gets Gabe Davis a lot of snaps is the fact that he's pretty good at blocking, so he can get in there and block and do those sorts of things. He's not really a fantasy option, so I think you're right. It's Diggs. It's Gabe Davis when he comes back, and then Crowder and McKenzie are just cannibalizing each other, and maybe you get a touchdown from one of those guys. Other than that, you're, you're just, you just have to be basically playing roulette to decide you know which week to play one versus the other. Tough to take too much from their snap counts because that game was literally over at the end of the third or by the end of the third quarter uh, last week. But yeah, right now, my highest ranked running back for the Bills, Devin Singletary, RB33. Not great, not exactly what you'd expect. But again, this has kind of been the Josh Allen experience. It goes to show you really how a dual threat quarterback, incredible for himself, incredible for the team, sometimes not so much for his team's running backs. Well, I mean, last week was really disappointing. Just one quick thing Allen had one rushing attempt that scramble where he converted i think on their first drive and he oh. you know did a cartwheel flip over somebody <laughs> isn't that he didn't he didn't run other than that and they were you mentioned they it was close in the first half but they were up substantially in in the second half so this is almost like a best case scenario thing and still nothing out of the backfield yeah, it was, and the Titans got absolutely, you know, killed by Saquon Barkley on the ground in week one, too. So maybe just maybe uh, Josh Jacobs bounce back week. We'll talk more about that in a bit. Yeah, Miami, we're, we're, that's where the running back position is, right? right know, we're talking Josh Jacobs already. <laughs> and I'm generally excited about it, too. All right, we got the Miami Dolphins. Talk of the league right now, sitting there at 2-0. Tua coming off the six touchdowns. And just really fun stuff from Mike McDaniel so far. Look, Kevin, I'm not sold on Tua being this elite, elite top 10 quarterback already, but what I am more and more sold on is both Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle being absolute ballers and just Mike McDaniel kind of living up to the hype of being one of the next great minds through two weeks now, number one in play action rate, number one shift motion rate. I know those don't exactly equal fantasy points, but we consistently see the smartest and best offenses in the league usually ranking towards the top of those categories. So what are your overall impressions on the Mike McDaniel offense and where do you stand on Tua, man? Because I feel like you either got to be all in or you got to be, you know, a complete slanderer. And I keep saying, I don't think people are going to be chilling on the Tua deep ball until we have literal GPS coordinates telling us that like Tyreek didn't have to slow down. Of course, the fantasy land style points don't matter. But first two weeks of Tua, Mike McDaniel, how you feeling? Uh, I'm feeling good, primarily because my takes are looking pretty good. I was good. <laughs> I called Tua. 2017 Alex Smith. That was my take going into the season. And this is what it is. Remember, Alex Smith was the greatest deep passer in the history of football <laughs> that year. But, you know, it helps when you have Tyreek Hill running wide open. So I like Tua doesn't have the Josh Allen upside. He doesn't have the Patrick Holmes upside, Justin Herbert, all those guys. But in this offense, the way they're playing, it can be successful. I think the most important thing, though, for McDaniel in this office, we'll see if it continues. I don't know if it'll continue or not. 
But right now, the Dolphins are third in their pass percentage over expectation. They're 10% over expectation. Not something you would have necessarily associated with this style of offense, the Shanahan tree, all that stuff. But that just lifts all boats when it comes to the passing game, combined with the efficiency that you're going to get, whether it's yards after catch or guys down the field. That means you don't have to be great. You have, you have volume and you have explosive receivers. You don't have to be great to be a fantasy asset, even if he's not going to give you a lot on the ground, which we didn't really expect Tua without any rushing production would equal something this season. And that's kind of the only reason why I don't think he's going to fly too high up to fantasy ranks. This week, I have him QB 13, still very much in that tier with Rodgers, Brady, Burrow, and Cousins. But hey, someone that, again, regularly was going outside the top 17, 18 QBs not that long ago, obviously really on the rise. Tough matchup this week, though. I think we're yeah, going to find Bill's out defense, a lot no more. No joke. No joke. I mean, for all, all the things Tough we say man. about the Buffalo offense, I would say the defense is probably a more important surprise as far as I know they were good last year, but you don't know what's going to happen to a defense year after year. And the fact they're getting so much pressure last week, I had them getting a quick pressure. So 2.5 or fewer seconds against Tannehill, 50% of his dropbacks, and they were only blitzing 10% of the time. It's crazy how much they're getting to quarterbacks these first two games. I was about to say, I remember seeing the stats after week one and how much pressure they got. And the fact with that no blitzing. Able, with no blitzing like yeah. that, obviously, you know, that's ideal. But most teams aren't able to do that. But most teams also don't have Von Miller, you know, playing like it's freaking 2015 all over again. So, yeah, Bill's defense and Chargers defense, man. Like sometimes we get so enamored with these quarterbacks for good reasons. But these defenses honestly come to play. That's the only reason why Tua and I think uh, – you know, some of these guys aren't necessarily higher this week, but the one shame that we have here in Miami, Kevin, is going to be this running back room. Really looked like Chase Edmonds was going to be the guy after week one. And now in week two, it looks like Raheem Mostert is going to be the guy moving forward. So, no, I'm not assuming that week two is going to look exactly like week three in this running back room. At a minimum, though, clearly Raheem Mostert is far more involved than I think we gave him credit for entering the season and week one. Do you really want anything to do with these guys this week, though? I think the highest one I have ranked is going to be Mostert by a hair, but I have him RB39, Edmonds RB40. It just feels like a stay away until we have some idea what's going on here. Yeah, this is a tough one. I think going forward, it's going to be Mostert probably slightly ahead of Edmonds until there's an injury. And I mean, sorry, you don't want to predict injuries for him. We know Raheem has had his issues in the past. This week... It, it probably will flip a little bit closer being game script questions, things like that, that'll come into play against the bills. And I hope if you have chase Edmonds, a lot of chase Edmonds takes in the offseason. I hope you got your victory laps in <laughs> after week one, because it was quick. It was, it, it turned it. You got, you, you're on to a new victory lap uh, on a different player this week, but get, you hope you got those in last week, because if you didn't, you missed your chance probably for the season. Patriots sitting at one and one. Hey, this offense last year, six-ranked scoring offense through two weeks. They ranked 29th. We're kind of seeing the same thing in New England versus Dallas, where we have these running back situations that I think rightfully we were optimistic about going to the year, especially in New England, if it could get down to two. The problem is I think the – the assumption we were putting into that ranking was Dallas being the reigning number one ranked scoring offense, New England being sixth. Do you think Mac Jones and company are going to turn around? Because honestly, Kevin, it's been now like six straight weeks of seeing this offense not look good. And then also hearing everything about training camp and not being good. And as fun as it is to blame every single mistake that Mac Jones makes on Matt Patricia, like, are we going to see an improvement at some point? Or do you think this is just what the 2022 Patriots offense is? 
I think we'll see an improvement. I mean, in week one, they had a couple of 50-50 balls to Devontae Parker. Not only were there two incompletions, one was a tipped interception. Uh, you know, they had the strip sack. Uh, for a, for six points in week one. And that Steelers defense played pretty well. They didn't sack uh, Mac Jones without TJ Watt there, but they still play. There's still a tough defense on the back end there. So yeah, I think they can get it together. A sneaky positive development uh, for those of us, including me, who are still holding out hope on Ramondre Stevenson was the fact that with Ty Montgomery out, we'll see what, what happens with that going forward. He did boost up to getting about 60% of the routes run in this game. So much higher than he was before. He didn't. He only got one catch, so he didn't have the production there. But at least from a usage perspective, we're, we're just hoping and praying that he is going to be that passing down guy. And then, of course, at 230 pounds, he can do some of the stuff on first and second down, too. You know, it took a while to get here. I'm not so sure everyone's bold. Ramondre Stevenson's sleeper case in the offseason included all these retirements It's on life support. Injuries. I'm, try- <laughs> I'm trying to pump it back up. I'm with those, you know, I'm rubbing the things together and like pressing on the chest right now to, to, to get it going. And we saw some signs. We saw a couple little beeps, a couple little beeps on the heart monitor uh, this last week for at least he was running routes. No, exactly. Like it, We're here now. It took a lot of things to happen to get here, but we're here at this point. So for me, Ramondre Stevenson, my RB22, because he's the pass catching back in a two running back committee right now. So I actually would be starting Stevenson over Claude Ebersolaire, Miles Sanders, Zico Elliott, James Robinson, among others. And I don't think it's, you know, particularly close. He's going to be someone you literally can't sit if Damon Harris ends up being hurt. I don't think he is. We all saw him kind of get rolled up on at the end of that game, but literally in the postgame presser, his exact quote, I'm fine, dog. Look at me. I'm fine. And they had the exclamation points on that too, Kevin. So I really do think that Damon Harris. Was it one or two exclamation points? One after the dog and then another one after I'm fine. So like, come on. Okay. All right. All right. That's, that's strong. That's strong. Okay. That's, that's, just a, that's just a usual workload guaranteed at that point. Yeah. So Damon Harris also, you know, good with this condensed backfield. Again, in the year 2022, we can live with two running back committees, three or four like the Patriots usually do or when things get annoying. Maybe Pierre Strong gets more involved as it goes on, but he's actually playing through a shoulder injury himself. Ty Montgomery still on IR. So for the time being, both Stevenson and Harris are viable starts. Stevenson just gets the edge because of that pass down work. So this week they are facing the Ravens. Baltimore favored by three, game total of 43 and a half. Look, Kevin, I I don't need people to pull up my life betting record. I'm I'm well aware I'm not, you know, someone that's hitting these uh, you know, bets at a 57% clip or whatever you need to be long-term profitable. Ravens only by three, though, man. Like that just seems like a mismatch to me. Yeah, it's funny. I was on another podcast yesterday where that was the, this guy's pick was Ravens three. I mean, it's okay, uh, but I guess I'm a little bit more positive about the Patriots going forward. The question will be for the Patriots here is I saw some people getting excited about Jacoby Myers or at least and whatever. Everyone's you know, confirming their takes, I guess, on this. But like, let's just not talk about these guys. Can we just not talk about <laughs> Patriots wide receivers? I don't care what happens in one individual game in this last game. We had some of the routes go down for players because Kendrick Bourne was, you know, hanging out in the doghouse week one. So now he's back in. So you got Bourne out there. You got Aguilar out there. You got Devontae Parker out there. You got Jacoby Myers. Whatever happens one week, all it's going to do is ensure that you, if you decide to start someone, you start them the next week and they, and you missed it. You missed the one week that they had here. So let's just stay away. Let's not talk anymore in fantasy land about Patriots wide receivers. Thank you. Talk about a team with a bunch of good wide receivers. The New York football Jets, one and one. Last week, Garrett Wilson obviously had his coming out party. Joe Flacco now five straight games with at least 300 yards or multiple touchdown passes. 
Seems like he's going to be back under center at least for another week. The return day for Zach Wilson has seemingly been staying at week four. So looking past the Bengals matchup for a second, Kevin, what's this going to say about Zach Wilson if he comes back? They've given him extra time to be healthy, and he still can't move the ball in the offense because Flacco has shown us it's possible. He's shown us what Garrett Wilson can do. We saw Elijah Moore really break out more so with Flacco under center last season. Corey Davis does Corey Davis things from time to time, but – Zach Wilson, man, I feel like this, unlike Justin Fields and the Bears, where like, who the hell knows based on kind of this roster and team they put around them, I actually feel like by the end of the season, we'll know if Zach Wilson is a guy or not. Or do you think it's still maybe too soon to tell? No, I don't think it's too too soon to tell. I mean, the, you mentioned the receivers they have, all that they spend on the offensive line. They brought in multiple tight ends. They have, uh, you know, offensive coordinator in from San Francisco. Again, another Shanahan guy who's solving everybody else's issues, but not for Zach Wilson. So I think we'll know. I just think... For fantasy purposes, like, I don't know. Okay, I'm not endorsing anything, but um, if you're familiar with Jeff Galuli, you know Jeff Galuli is by any chance. You may not know him. No. So Tanya Harding, uh, Nancy Kerrigan situation. You know, for fantasy for football purposes, we might need to make sure, you know, Zach has a little bit of an extended. In, Was in, that in, the in bodyguard guy that actually, oh, my God. <laughs> that was her <laughs> ex-husband, actually, who did that there. Okay, I, okay, I'll take that back. We don't, we don't need that to happen. But take your time, Robert Sala. Make sure his mind is right, not just his body. <laughs> the body, you know, the mind and the body, hand in hand. The mind could take eight weeks. It could take ten weeks. It could take the entire season to get right. Okay, I'm just letting you know now. We can stick with Flacco. I'm okay with that if we have to. It is weird, though. Again, said a lot of good things about Joe Flacco. But ahead of this matchup, at home against the Bengals, since he five-point favorites, game total of 45, there's still nobody on the Jets' offense that we feel really good about. Like, yes, Garrett Wilson shooting up the ranks. I have him and Elijah Moore, you know, wide receiver 31, wide receiver 34. Okay, if you want to put him in the flex, that's fine. But Michael Carter and Brees Hall are now also giving up some reps to Ty freaking Johnson, which – I thought was maybe possible, but still, when you see it with your own two eyes, it doesn't really make that feeling uh, any easier. Tyler Conklin, yeah, I see the route rate, but come on here. This is still an offense going through the wide receivers. Like, again, I don't think we hate the offense. There's a lot of players we like, but none of these guys, Kevin, I feel really good about throwing in a fantasy lineup. If anyone, I'll give the nod to Garrett Wilson. But with that said, I'm not assuming that he's going to be working as the outright guy for Elijah Moore. Like, if you had to put, a you know, 20 bucks on any single offensive player in this offense now for this week, who would it be? Uh, Elijah Moore would still, I'd still put Elijah Moore ahead of Wilson. I mean, you know, Wilson right now, according to expected fantasy points calculation, I think he's third or fourth because he's had so many end zone targets. He has a ridiculous amount of end zone targets. Now he caught some of them last week, but he even had them the first week in additional ones that he didn't catch last week. So I don't know if that's a sticky sort of thing. We can't necessarily rely on that going forward. Corey Davis is, you know, he's out the window unless no one's guarding him. He's yeah. good. He's good in that sort of situation. And then in the backfield, you mentioned Ty Johnson. I look back to see he was the two minute guy at the end of the first and the end of the second half. That's just rough, really rough there. Because if you look at Michael Carter, I think he's played well. I think he has played well enough to hold off Brees Hall. He had, I think, 25 routes to only seven for Hall last week. They had the same number of carries. So I'd like to be able to start Michael Carter if it wasn't for this Ty Johnson factor. And also, I'll, I'll harken back to when I called Michael Carter the, the discount CEH, <laughs> and you guys laughed at me last year. Now, I don't know. Maybe, maybe CEH is a discount Michael Carter now. What do you think well, about that? 
You're literally laughing now, Kevin. So it's not even, uh, you know, not even something we have to worry about. I've Let's mentioned be- this multiple times too. So I like to bring it up to you as, as often as I possibly can. I like to think we'll be coming back at the same point next week. So AFC North now at the top for the time being, the Cleveland Browns at one and one. And Kevin, Jacoby Brissett was really good last week. I talked a lot of shit about him in week one. I talked a lot of shit about him throughout the offseason because I was just getting annoyed at the idea that, you know, healthy Jacoby Brissett was better than healthy Baker Mayfield. And I know week two didn't exactly help that argument for me with the way Baker was playing, but just focusing on Jacoby, I like to, you know, admit when I'm wrong here, at least for week two, I was certainly wrong. Jacoby, he only had five incompletions, man. Like four of them literally were hitting the players in the hands. I don't want to call them drops, but like they were well-thrown balls. And then he threw an interception on the last play when they were just had nine seconds left to try to get in scoring position. So I don't think this is going to be an every week thing. We see enough of Jacoby to know we're going to see some ups and downs, but at a minimum, man, to see him have that connection with Amari Cooper, all of a sudden, Cooper, my wide receiver, 30. Still, again, I'm saying a lot of good things. Oh, yeah, I still have 29 players ranked ahead of this guy. But I feel a little bit better about Cooper and David Njoku, at least being some sort of viable fantasy assets before Deshaun Watson gets there. What are your overall thoughts on Jacoby Myers and this Browns passing game right now? Yeah, I think as far as a you know pre-Watson, you can start Cooper. If you draft him, you can, he's startable, but don't expect – a week like last week going forward. They had a really easy schedule so far. They have the easiest schedule in the NFL through two weeks for a team. So what we're going to expect going forward, we'll end up seeing. I mean, I guess the story, though, is Nick Chubb, right? Uh, RB1, even in PPR leagues, just an absurd workload because he's fourth in expected touchdowns, fourth in expected yards. And then, of course, he's outperforming that vastly. He's not getting involved in the receiving game at all. So that's not like we're having some surprise there. Um, but he's just going through the roof as far as his scoring is there. So I think you can – obviously, you're starting Chubb. I think Hunt is always a guy who's you know in the mix to start, depending upon who you have. Other than that, Cooper, and then there's not, there's not going to be much else, really, you're going to look at. And it's kind of new for Nick Chubb that he's actually ranking this high. I mean, he's actually tied for ninth right now with A.J. Dillon and expected PPR points per game. Like the previous two years, he was literally outside the top 20. And it was like, yeah. that's why I didn't want to bet on Nick Chubb because betting on Nick Chubb was like, all right, he needs to be like the best running back in the league. Otherwise, he's not going to have enough volume to get up there. Like the anti-Najee Harris, uh, if you will, here. Speaking of, the Browns will be at home against the Steelers, sitting as four and a half point favorites this week. So, Nick Chubb going back to the well. Kareem Hunt going back to the well. Where do you kind of rank Hunt, though? Because, again, everyone's starting Nick Chubb at this point. Kareem Hunt, for me, he's still firmly in that low-end RB2 range. I would start him ahead of guys like Clyde, like Ramondre Stevenson. Him versus guys like Jeff Wilson, Antonio Gibson is where it gets tougher for me. If you can be a lead back with some sort of semblance of that pass-down role, because let's face it, Kareem Hunt, even though he is the primary pass catcher, it's not like they're just throwing him eight targets per game either. Overall kind of rest of the season ranking-ish thoughts on Kareem Hunt. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to have him somewhere in the – 20 to 30 range most of the time I am a little bit higher this week with the thought that he might get a little he might get more involved against a tougher defense than what we've seen for uh, Chubb before and yeah I mean he's in the same range as like a Sanders and Wilson and others I have him a little bit higher this week than you do but it's it's a matter of margin it's it's tight margins here you're just never going to have him with uh without an injury to Nick Chubb you're never really going to confidently be able to put him in the top 20 but you should never really keep him outside of the top 30 I don't think either Browns again facing off this week against the Steelers, also one and one. And Kevin, when we first spoke this year, I set the over under on the Trubisky experience at two and a half games. We're almost there so far. You know, I don't want to say so good because it's been terrible. Like I want to see Kenny Pickett. I really just want to see Kenny Pickett at this point. 
Are we going to get it though, man? Because we've seen Tomlin do this enough where I, I I think Tomlin probably could help get this team to eight and nine, maybe even nine and eight, even if Trubisky is going to be under center. I just like, what are we doing here, man? Like, have we not seen enough of Trubisky at this point? Deontay Johnson looks great. George Pickens, like every single beat writer, like, that I've almost never seen as glowing of reviews about this guy. And now he can't catch a ball in the game because seemingly of Trubisky. Chase Claypool, talented guy, even if you don't like that one time last year when he celebrated a first down. Najee Harris, hey, you know, when he gets the ball in his hands, he's still doing things. I don't think he's, the you know, a bad running back by any stretch of the imagination. So we have all these players, Kevin, and they're not doing anything. Who else is there to point the finger at? Yeah, I mean, he was bad for four years with Chicago and now he's bad. You know, he had <laughs> like half a game, I guess, where he was good for the bills. So was, is that what convinced people that he could be something? Yeah. I, I've been ranting about this on any platform I can possibly find <laughs> for weeks. Kenny Pickett is 24 years old. It, there's no reason. There's no reason to wait. If you say, we don't want him to get killed behind the offensive line. Well, guess what? That offensive line is not going to change this season. That's it. This is your offensive line for this season. And why would you redshirt him knowing that you would be 2-0 right now? I'm, I am very, I'm almost I'm positive with the fact that you would be 2-0 if you had Pickett there. Um, so why throw away any more games? I guess we just need, you know, we need a couple more losses. And this is not exactly a game uh, on Thursday where – it's for sure going to be a loss for them against the Cleveland Browns, but we really got to be praying for a loss because we heard George uh, George Pickens. He told us he was a, he was open 90% of the time. I have no reason to doubt him. Yet three <laughs> targets, one catch, 23 yards. How is that possible? 90% of the time he was open. I, I don't know. Week one, I mean, he got loose downfield. Could have been like a 90-yard house call on Eli Apple. And, oh, guess what? Overthrown. Might not have much of a choice this week. This one uh, surprised me. So the Cleveland Browns this year have allowed six Six yards before contact on rush attempts on 39 carries. I mean, there are a couple other teams. The Colts have somehow allowed zero. The Lions just three. But the Browns truly. And that was one of the reasons why last week, you know, one of my bull calls was thinking Elijah Moore was going to go off. And no, it didn't work out. But Flacco going for 300 plus and four touchdowns. I would like to say the process was right. As you know, my entire family leaves me. And, you know, we're just going bankrupt over my Elijah Moore call. But looking ahead to this week. Like, maybe this is finally the Pickens breakout, man, because he has been out there all the time, and this has kind of now been a two-week lull. DFS, streets, maybe, Kevin. I know you do some later-week articles on, you know, the potential tournament blow-ups, but for me, at least for showdown, George Pickens seems like the guy that I'm going to be, you know, really trying to captain. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a, a tournament sort of play, but you're just hoping the, the Browns are good for one, at least one, 75 yard coverage bus touchdown per game. So you just have to hope that goes to the guy that, that you're choosing. Cause that's probably the best way for Mr. Trubisky to put some points on the board is if someone is running free with uh, no, no defenders within 10 yards of them. Yeah. And I will say uh, Denzel Ward under current defensive coordinator, Joe Woods, he's only been asked to shadow one time. That actually was last year, week 17 against Deontay Johnson. So if there is one cornerback to be afraid of in Cleveland, it's Denzel Ward, not expecting him to be on George Pickens. And no, like don't bench Deontay Johnson just because of the tough matchup tiebreaker. Okay. And yeah, this is just not really a good game. Why did the Thursday night gods give us this game? We may never know. Ravens sitting at one and one man, just, such a great Lamar Jackson performance. And it's fun to talk about two and stuff too. He earned, you know, getting all the love, most of the love, I guess, after it. But just seeing Lamar continue to do all this with so little, you know, help on the offense. You know, Ronnie Stanley still working his way back. And Mark Andrews and Rashad Bateman are great. I'm not trying to slander those guys. But I just don't know what else Lamar needs to do, Kevin, to stop the slander. I don't think it's ever going to stop. And whatever, I guess let people hate. 
this is incredible though, man. Like, yes, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes being two and oh, I understand why they should be at the top of most MVP races, but man, I picked the Ravens to win the AFC uh, North because I just thought, you know, you get a little bit healthier on defense, which we saw kind of quickly go south last week. So we'll see if they can uh, improve that at some point. But, you know, I don't really have a point here other than Lamar Jackson's fucking awesome, man. I love watching him every week. Yeah, I mean, the first half was probably the best half of football I've seen from any quarterback this year. Now, he did fumble a fourth and one snap where they were right at the goal line. So that drive, Kevin, 18 plays, 10 minutes and 52 seconds, zero points. Yeah, yeah. So if you want to put that on him, that's fine. But if you, how he actually played outside of that was just fantastic. And this Ravens team, just like last year, they cannot run the ball. They cannot run the ball outside of Lamar Jackson. So he was doing everything. Now, that said, my concern about this offense, if there is one, and maybe this is concern about Rashad Bateman to a, to a degree also, is like, yeah, you're starting Rashad Bateman. You're good to go. A lot of big plays, though. We're talking about back-to-back weeks of huge touchdowns they've had there. He is in the top five and is scoring over expectation. You're just not normally going to have those big plays. He's only running 70-ish percent of routes. He's not a guy who's out there like – Jamar Chase has run 100% of every single route he's been out there. So he's off of the field sometimes. There are things like that to be concerned about. And from Lamar Jackson, too, a lot of big plays there. He had the very long 79-yard touchdown run, too. So those are not sustainable. Um, There's going to be a little bit of of a regression there. But as far as proving like football people wrong, Lamar Jackson cannot be a better environment for doing that because they can't run the ball at all. This is not a scheme system. This is not a system thing. This is a Lamar Jackson thing. And again, what, like my point earlier about people just, I don't know what it's going to take to stop a slander. Like there's just always going to be some, you know, ESPN analyst that stands up there and say, oh no, he needs to win more from the pocket. He's just not winning enough from the pocket. So I wanted to, you know, actually try to check these things instead of just repeating the same damn shit, you know, week after week without actually bringing anything to back it up. And this season, most yards per attempt on straight dropbacks, excluding rollouts, excluding scrambles. And I even took screens out of the picture. Number one is Tua, number two, Lamar Jackson. So I don't know what else we need to do. He's freaking on point in the pocket. He's incredible rushing, and he's not doing it with that much. Like, again, all due respect to Bateman and Andrews, but Lamar Jackson, Kingstead Kings, we've seen that this year. With Bateman, it is one of those things, Kevin, where we have seen a little bit more funky usage out of Baltimore with how they kind of rotate their wide receivers and tight ends at times. I guess my only kind of comeback to the Bateman regression talk is I don't know if this team can get back to running. You know, J.K. Dobbins practices in full last week. Harbaugh calls them week to week. You look at the running backs they have. Kenyon Drake this year. 39 rushing yards on 17 carries. Justice Hill has 20 on five. Mike Davis has 15 on seven. Like Lamar Jackson is the offense. And as much as they want to party like it's 2019 again, I see no kind of just end in sight for them to be able to even start running the ball. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree there. I guess my only other other thing that I would say is, you know, Lamar Jackson has actually been making Devin DuVernay and Demarcus Robinson look pretty good. So he's not like reliant upon Rashad Bateman, the way he's playing right now, he's kind of reliant upon uh, Mark Andrews. Like the, Mark Andrews is going to get his no matter what. If, if a week, two weeks, three weeks went by with Rashad Bateman is not getting enough targets, isn't getting those big plays, it's kind of has a down stretch. That can happen, I believe, in this offense because he is good enough getting the ball to where it needs to go, get it to all the different receivers. And, you know, Devin DuVernay, he's, he's way over expectation for, so far this year on his scoring, too, how good he's been throwing to him. And Demarcus Robinson is looks like 
kind of like it was when he was with Patrick Mahomes, where he can be useful every now and again, at least as a third option. Moving on to the 0-2 Cincinnati Bengals. Lost to Mitch Trubisky and Cooper Rush. That's a that's a tough one to swallow. Kevin, I want that meme of, you know, Joe Burrow, like, getting sacked, and then, you know, you have to open Jamar Chase. But I just want him getting sacked, you know, with Panay Sewell or whatever, and then him also getting sacked, like, in every other scenario. Because, my God, the, the, what is it at this point? We heard all offseason about Lel Collins now being the bodyguard there at right tackle. They retooled the offensive line, and he just keeps getting sacked. So, looking at, you know, his average time to throw, over the past two seasons, 2.62. I mean, that ranks 32nd among 47 quarterbacks. So he's actually been an above average quarterback and getting the ball out of his hands. But my God, league high, I want to say it's 96 sacks since he's entered the league. PFF, Kevin has done some studies in the past showing that quarterback, you know, pressures and sacks, actually more of an indictment usually on the quarterback as opposed to the offensive line. Is that what we're seeing here? Or is it just a mixture of Burrow should maybe get the ball out quicker and this offensive line, like please get in front of somebody with all due respect to having faced arguably the top two pass rushers in the league and TJ Watt and Micah Parsons on the edge, at least I'm not trying to put anyone ahead of Aaron Donald, but overall thoughts on this passing game and can they fix it? Yeah, I think they can fix it. It's been an unfortunate start having to go against these two defenses and the fact that they provide pressure. And yeah, Burrow's been pressured a lot. His offensive line has been bad, according to the numbers that I have, which look at time to pressure and then kind of allocate how many sacks belong to the offensive line versus Burrow. But then Burrow is still primarily responsible for all of these sacks. And yeah, is like I said, tough defenses to go against. They're getting pressure on him, but it's the quarterback's responsibility to not take a sack, even if you are pressured, pressured, even if you're pressured quickly. You have to be able to avoid taking a sack on here. Uh, just to give some numbers for what he's been doing these last couple of seasons, I mean, he's taking a sack last year um, on nearly 30% of his pressures. This year, it's up to nearly 40% of his pressures. It doesn't really matter how often you're being pressured you cannot take sacks almost every other time that you're pressured you have to sometimes be be able and willing to get rid of the ball so I'm going to put most of it on Burrow but his offensive line is not helping either looking ahead to this week they are going to be at the Jets still five point road favorites game total at 45 you're still probably going to be riding with Burrow in more leagues and not but we know he's kind of in that tier of guys like if you want to put a Stafford ahead of him because of the matchup I don't think that's egregious obviously chasing Higgins and Mixon in the lineup Hayden Hurst though starting to emerge as maybe one of these tight end streamers that you can actually get behind with Dalton Schultz out of the picture I believe Drew Sample got hurt last week we'll keep an eye on that but even in week one Hayden Hurst was having some pretty good usage numbers looking at specifically week two 87 percent routes on Joe Burrow's dropbacks only tight ends are more Dallas Goddard Tyler Conklin Cole Komet somehow i guess when it's 10 dropbacks you know you'll get there kyle pitts zach ertz and travis kelsey so hayden hurst kevin for you is that someone that we can actually start to look at as more of a borderline tight end one after really you know just being ignored throughout most of the offseason uh i won't say borderline tight end one i'll say usable if you picked him up and you know your guy has kind of gone poof or was just a speculative sort of guy he's someone that you can end up starting here and let's remember hayden hurst you know more draft capital behind him than Lamar Jackson. Let's never, let's never forget that. He's going to have the poor guy. He's going to have that attached to, to, his, to him for the rest of his career. So high-end talent, first-round talent. I mean, he lost his job to Mark Andrews and Kyle Pitts. Like, if you're going to get fired, like, I should probably should be to those guys. I have Hirsch ranked tight end 14 this week, which I guess, you know, you could even say that's more high-end tight end two than borderline yeah, tight end Yeah, I think high-end tight end. <laughs> high-end TE2 is really your, your, your target, your hope for him. 
going I forward. Do, I do have Hurst just ahead of guys like Irv Smith, Robert Tunyon, David Njoku, Mike Desicki, who are going to, I think, just face a little bit more competition. Four targets, obviously, though, like we saw T. Higgins play last week through that concussion. If we do ever see either of Higgins or Chase miss some time, Boyd and Hayden Hurst going to be the main beneficiaries. A little bit of Mike Thomas, the other Mike Thomas as well, of course. AFC South. First place Jaguars, Kevin. What a time to be alive. They had the division's only win at this point. That one kind of surprised me as I was uh, putting the show sheet together. But one and one, Trevor Lawrence, I was not impressed at all in week one. I wouldn't say I was uber impressed in week two, but he at least limited the mistakes and his stat line would have been a lot better if Jamal Agnew, I'm not sure why he was the one they dialed up the deep ball to, but really well thrown from Lawrence, hit Agnew in the chest, just couldn't come down with the 40-yard catch. But the one guy that's not impressed me the most, Kevin, you know, team watched the film here, Christian Kirk and just what he's been able to do in the slot, looking just elusive as all hell. He's now my wide receiver 13 on the week in full PPR scoring. Just, I don't know if zay jones marvin jones evan ingram these other guys even etn throw him in there i'm not sure if lawrence is going to be able to enable more than one guy but christian kirk man has gone from the most overpaid wide receiver ever to someone that i think needs to be in fantasy lineups of all shapes and sizes here moving forward yeah he's a confident guy you start every single week now no one else really fits that definition on this team here's an interesting factoid you mentioned they're the only team with a victory so uh, there's been there have been two matchups already this year where two AFC Tau- South teams played each other. Yet the entire division only has one win. That's one of these riddles. Like, how is that? Is, is that <laughs> you need you need that? It's like it, you need a abacus or something. You need something to figure out how that is even possible. Um, so yeah, they they could they could win this division where we're looking at how bad everyone else is there. And I guess for the backfield, I mean, I'm still holding out some hope that eventually. ETN will emerge more there. I know everyone seems to love James Robinson. I mean, he had the long touchdown last week. He wasn't, you know, very effective, I would say, down the stretch when they were salting things away. But then again, maybe they were just salting away a very easy victory against the Colts last week. Those guys are, well, Robinson is probably the only one you can really start of those two if you have to. But if you have to start him, you're not probably looking great at the running back position before we even get into bye weeks and injuries and all that stuff. Give him a little bit of credit. 64 rushing yards in week two, 65 rushing yards after contact. So the Jaguars were struggling to win that line of scrimmage. Last point on Christian Kirk. Uh, Kevin, you've talked in the past about expected points and how at wide receiver, like we can buy a little bit more into the talent than just like pure volume. So this year we've actually had – the top wide receivers, top 10 wide receivers in terms of just total fantasy points above expectation, Stefan Diggs, Tyreek Hill, Jahan Dawson, Rashad Bateman, Cooper Cup, Devin Duvernay, Jalen Waddle, Christian Kirk, and our guy Amon Ross St. Brown. So again, love, love, love when some of these uh, analytics actually match what we're seeing on the field. That's what it's all about at the end what, of the day. One other thing for the, for the expected points, the one thing you have to look at where it can be deceiving when it's above is if you have touchdowns, like Jahad Dodson. I mean, he's fine. He has three touchdowns, 1.2 expected. So he's driving a lot of that value there. Kirk actually is a little bit, he's two touchdowns versus 1.2 expected. So a little bit more, but he's not getting like a huge bump from that. He's getting a bump from earning targets, making catches, uh, you know, generating yards, the type of stuff that's a little bit stickier going forward. 
this week at the Chargers and just Chargers and Bills defenses again looking awfully uh, good to start the year. Chargers are seven point favorites. Game total resting at forty seven and a half. This should like ETN truthers if you're still out there like this should be the game where he gets going because in week one we did see a fifty fifty snap rate. Week two the Jaguars were able to play with the lead the whole time so it did trend towards Robinson. I still only have ETN ranked as my RB thirty and that even seems a little bit high as I'm saying it you know out loud to all these listeners right now. But uh, man again. Just tough to get by, but this should be uh, the game where hopefully they can get in some comeback mode in ETN. All of a sudden, gets to seven to eight targets. Like we were never thinking, we as in you know someone that drafted ETN a lot in the in, in round four drafts of this past offseason. I was never under the assumption we were going to be looking at an 90 percent snap roll. I thought that was a best case scenario. My common comparison was that this could be a DeAndre Swift type situation where hopefully he's able to get six to eight targets and you know get you know half the rush attempts or so alongside Robinson. So don't overreact. Still a two week sample, and this is still a two running back backfield so you know a lot of these situations uh you know miami jacksonville uh, even the jets with ty johnson hijinks aside even though we even though it's frustrating even though we can't necessarily you know the rams as well we can't necessarily lean on any one of these guys for this week it still only is two running backs and god forbid something happens to them either etn or james robinson would suddenly be on the cover of every single waiver wire article or just you know a locked in rb1 but moving on to the biggest disappointment maybe in the nfl right now man the colts Oh, one and one. That's how that works out. And they deserve this. They deserve this, man. Like they could not go a week without slandering Carson Wentz the entire offseason. This was a team last year that if you just look at their point differential, I mean, this it was incredible that the Colts didn't make the playoffs and the Raiders did uh, when, you know, you consider the Colts were like plus 160 or something compared to the Raiders. So. That's karma, man. I don't know how else to say it. With that said, it is just two games. You know, we saw them embarrassingly lose in week one last year as well. They just can't seem to get, you know, the Jaguars out of the way when they are playing uh, in Jacksonville. So, unfortunately, not getting any easier this week facing the Chiefs at home. Kansas City favored by four, gain total of 50 and a half. But overall thoughts on Matt Ryan so far, Kevin, because to be fair, week one, multiple drop touchdown passes. And week two, you take away Michael Pittman and Alec Pierce. I think you take away most quarterbacks, top two wide receivers, probably not going to be as good. I agree. But at the same point, we'd be, we wouldn't be making excuses for Carson Wentz probably in a similar situation. Yeah. We just say he stinks. You know, if you're getting um, the goose egg here, that's, that's not good. Not good at all. Um, a couple of different notes that I have on this game. One, I think Paris Campbell, he's officially RIP. We can finally bury him if you haven't already. I mean, he's he's pretty much there's just a couple of extra, you know, spoonfuls of dirt to throw on top of him. So he's completely dead if he's not going out in this situation. And this is not a fantasy take, but I think we are close to potentially seeing like Frank Reich and Chris Ballard get fired at the end of this season, you know, Ballard's been there since 2017. And it's weird because they haven't been a hugely successful franchise other than a, I guess a divisional round playoff run with Andrew Luck a number of years back. Obviously they've had this, all these issues of quarterback, other things, but I don't know. This feels like I'd be surprised if there was, if there was more rope put out for this, if they embarrass themselves like this, the entire rest of the season. And I know the Titans are looking at anything, but if the Jacksonville Jaguars win this division, <laughs> I have to think that it's the end for those two, which is kind of surprising because I feel like those would both be two coveted guys somewhere else. But th- that's one thing to keep a watch on. When we're talking about who's who's on the hot seat, those two guys I think are on a little bit of a hot seat here. Um, this is bad. This is really bad. 
if they keep looking at the team thinking that they've solved the quarterback problem and it, they keep not solving it, all of a sudden I think that finger will be pointed somewhere else. It's a great point. But, yeah, just to kind of put Ryan Start in the context, last year on this Colts team, and you all you know, keep talking about how bad Carson Wentz was last year, and I get it. He wasn't good. But he still didn't throw his fourth interception until week 12 last season. Matt Ryan is already at that mark. PFF's 26th-ranked passer among 34 quarterbacks this year. Yeah, he's been bad. We can make some excuses for it. Hopefully, he gets a little yeah, better. He's dead last in EPA per play uh, so far this season. Yeah, I mean, Wentz was one of those guys where everyone says because he was he was actually 17th overall last year in his in his efficiency. But you know, he had a lot of turnover-worthy plays, dropped interceptions, other things that weren't so good. It was one of those things where even if you got better quarterback play, you wouldn't necessarily get better results because the results were actually okay with Wentz. Not we're not getting even the same results, and that's that's going to look bad. At least once giving us some highs. And like it once hasn't been a complete world beater this year. Like he has five turnover worthy plays in his own right. But Derek Carr and Matt Ryan do lead the league with six turnover worthy play rates. Commander fans kind of like him. It's it's weird. It's one of those things where if he has no expectations, he had expectations coming in with the Colts, right? If he has no expectations, you're like, oh, it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun to watch this guy wince it up every now and again because we didn't (laughs) expect to, we're not expecting to win the division or whatever anyway. So it's more fun than watching Taylor Heineke play. Like he's at least shown the ability to be good at some times. That's a lot better than bad all the time. Like we usually had to deal with last season. Unfortunately in fantasy, we have our Jonathan Taylor. If he's healthy, we have Michael Pittman. Other than that, probably just a good idea to stay away. Naeem Hines should still be on rosters, but we're not seeing enough usage to thank Frank Reich telling us, you know, he did. Got us again. (laughs) You little bastard. You got us again. Frank us again. Frank Reich, terrible fantasy football. We now we now know that after uh, giving out that advice. Ashton Doolin, if you're freaking desperate, okay, I guess, but just not really looking good. Let's move on to the Houston Texans. Oh, one and one. Never forget they uh, punted at the 50 yard line in an overtime game. You know, with like 15 seconds left. So no interest in seemingly winning this year. And look no further than basically every single transaction they've made over the past two seasons. Like I'm not hating on these players. I am hating on uh, just again. They're clearly not trying to win. Uh, good job, I guess. So offense hasn't gained 300 yards in a game yet. They're facing the Bears this week in Chicago. Bears favored by three, game total of 40 and a half. Brandon Cooks still going to get the volume. He actually dropped a short six-yard touchdown last week, so I'm not too worried about that. I think the only other point here to kind of talk about, Kevin, is what to make of Damian Pierce. He did get back, actually was treated as a starter, took every single early down rush attempt, but Still, man, and this was my concern in the preseason, why I didn't want to draft him in round five when he, you know, he was on a rocket ship to the moon. He's still the early down back for Houston Texans offense. That's objectively terrible, and they have been terrible. Like This is the league's worst backfield in terms of expected fantasy points over the past three seasons. Damian Pierce, this week for me, he's RB34. That's a nice boost. But even Pierce versus guys like Michael Carter, Tony Paul, or Devin Singletary, like I'm not going to go punch you in the face if you say you want to start Pierce over them, Kevin. But I, I still think it's close. And it's a shame that when we have Damian Pierce, again, receives such a big role. And I'm still like, yeah, I don't really know if I want to start him. Yeah, I feel like Pierce is one guy, and I'll mention another guy from Houston. Again, this is we're talking about the Texans here, so we're not getting too excited about anything. But Pierce is maybe a guy, if you're in a league, you could trade for and get him at like a proper value now. If someone is capitulating, someone has a couple of other starters, they may not need Pierce there. That's a possibility there. I guess Nico Collins is the other guy. Again, we're not getting excited about any of these guys. We know Brandon Cooks is the man there. Uh, but Collins was at wide receiver 46 in expected points, but he was up to wide receiver 21 uh, in week two. And, you know, Cooks hasn't been the healthiest guy. So there is like an outside chance that if Cooks gets injured, 
um, on a week-to-week basis. If you're really desperate during a bye week, maybe Collins will emerge as someone who had a lot of positive buzz during the offseason as someone who's usable. So if you have a long bench, maybe you can stash him there. Otherwise, I don't have much advice as far as the Houston Texans are concerned. Moving right along to Tennessee Titans. 0-2 at this point. Not looking good. Obviously had that close loss to the Giants in week one and then got blown the hell out by the Bills in week two. I don't want to completely freak out about the week two game, though. Again, we saw the Bills at the Rams in week one. The Bills might just be like the best team in football by a decent margin at this point. If you look at the Titans schedule coming up, they got the Raiders, the Colts, the Commanders, and then a bye, then the Colts and Texans. So do you think this is the beginning of a run, Kevin, where the Titans get back to being a pretty damn good football team? Or or is this just the 2022 Titans and, you know, unfortunately, another bad team in the AFC South? I mean, pretty damn good. No, um, like good to, you know, mediocre to good. Yes, I think they can get back there. I think Derrick Henry can get back on track. I'm not certain at this point that he is, you know, washed or, or I thought he's looked OK. He just had nowhere to go this last game. Again, Tannehill was good week one. He was very efficient this game, like I mentioned. Quick pressures 50% of the time. There was just nothing that he could really do uh, in this game. The one thing to note that we're all happy about, especially me as someone who had Traylon Burks as the wide receiver one coming in uh, to this year, is that the fact that he finally was out there a lot. Uh, Vrabel still, when he talks about Traylon Burks, he talks about it like, he, he looks like he's concurrently like passing a kidney stone or something like he hates Traylon Burks so much, but they're forced to put him on the field because they need to be able to do something. You know, he's over three yards per route run. He's actually been the most efficient yards per route run of any, any rookie receiver this year. The problem is in totality, he's only in the 40% as far as routes run, but he was up around 70% last game. So that's what we're going to look for going forward. Yeah. He may run the wrong routes every now and again. Maybe he's you know a little lackadaisical from time to time, but the dude's talented and they need to have talent out on the field or else it's going to be a very, very long season for this Titans team. Again, unfortunately, with the volume involved, still tough to get behind him too much because he's not dominating targets as much as A.J. Brown was. And also, A.J. Brown just had to be a freaking monster, man, man among boys, in order to make the most out of that run first Titans offense. I'm with you. I'm not, you know, hitting the fire alarms on Derrick Henry yet. And what? Like, you want to sell Derrick Henry at probably his lowest value ever at this point? Keep starting him. I feel like this is – it's it's funny, Kevin. If you look at, like, the top running backs, all of the top running backs last week, like, sucked. Just, but now you look at their matchups this week – McCaffrey, Taylor, Barkley, Cook, Eckler, Henry, they're all home and all in spots that I think we could, you know, easily envision that, you know, 100 plus two touchdown games. Everyone's getting there. Why did we draft Derrick Henry at all takes off right now? Come on, guys. How many years do we have to go through this? The guy's going to go for 103 touchdowns this week. And then the conversation is going to be, oh, why wouldn't you draft Derrick Henry in round two? Lowest point ever. So. Let's move on. Last division here, AFC West. Thanks, as always, for tuning in here to a lovely edition of PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Got the Kansas City Chiefs sitting atop at 2-0. If they keep this up, Kevin, and if the Bills keep this up, who's your MVP, Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen? I mean, Josh Allen, I think, is MVP. I mean, I'd say Jalen Hurts might even be, like, second-ish at this point. Then you have Mahomes, Jackson, Tua? I don't know. <laughs> I can't even get Tua. There's a lot of touchdowns um, last week. So I say those are the guys that are going to be in there. But no, I think Allen has been, uh, you know, at least ahead, maybe not head and shoulders, but ahead above him because he was good in both games. Mahomes struggled a bit in that last game. And we saw that a decent amount last year. We saw it periodically the year before where he can have some struggles, and he did in that game. But I think generally you're still happy with what you're what you're seeing if you if you have Mahomes on your roster if you have Travis Kelsey on your roster if you have CEH on your roster I think you're, you're feeling pretty good about what you've seen so far this season 
not feeling quite as great for you know the Juju Smith-Schuster uh, truthers out there. Oh, yeah, that's true. We're, we're all, people were calling him this year's Cooper Cup after 30 minutes of play. It's been a rough last 90 minutes for Juju. With that said, Mahomes told us this before the season. He said, "I think he literally apologized to fantasy managers and said it was going to be a different wide receiver every week. Week one, it was mostly Juju. Week two, it was Mecole Hardman. Let's get a few more data points, you know, under our belt. No, I'm not ranking Juju as like a must-start top 24 guy. Still, someone that I think you'll be hard pressed to rank. You know, more than 30." or so wide receivers in front of MBS is the one that you know it'd be a lot cooler if we could at least get some air yards out there it's kind of been confusing to see how he's being used but this could be you know the blow up spot for all of these guys a fun stat from the always great Lord Reeves Rich Rebar over at a sharp football analysis but Mahomes against Gus Bradley career 17 touchdowns and two picks this could be a slaughter out there and I don't think that Stefan Gilmore is going to necessarily be used on any one receiver uh, just looking at the way the Chiefs move them all over the field Gilmore Moore's only spent one snap in the slot all season long. So, yeah, Chiefs offense still expecting more of the same. Uh, again, four-point favorites in Indianapolis at the 50.5-point game total. How are you feeling about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, uh, Kevin? I think that's the only other kind of question here because – on the one hand, he's scoring touchdowns. We saw the big chunk run last week. I've never seen a guy like have open field in front of him and still, you know, keep the two hands on the ball that long. I don't know, man, like go be a playmaker, but whatever. You gain the yards, you gain the yards. With that said, he got outsnapped by Pacheco in week one. And because of the game script, I get that. Jarek McKinnon in week two. This still is a three-back committee. Is Clyde like – I don't even know if you can sell high in him because I feel like people still like aren't really accepting him. But would he be someone where if you can find you know the opportunity to swap him for you know an RB2 or wide receiver two, would you make that move? Yeah, I don't know if i make that move because like you mentioned, I don't think anyone's valuing that highly. I think he's useful. He's, he's like useful. So if you can combine him with someone else and try to upgrade, maybe if someone thinks they're getting two useful pieces, someone who needs a running back to put in there who they feel like they can actually start, I think that's the way to go with him. And I know this uh, wide receiver group you mentioned, you don't know who it's going to be. Any week it could be anyone um, except, except Skybor. It can't be Skybor last week because he ran zero route. Well, he ran one route, but it was on a play. I think there was an illegal procedure or something. It didn't count. So zero routes, I'm going to – I'm going to go out on a limb and say you cannot be a fantasy producer with that type of usage. Moving on. We got the Denver Broncos one and one. What's your concern level for Russ in this passing game? I don't think they've been terrible. Like if you want to talk about near misses and the sheeshes, like this offense, like I could probably have like a minute 30 clip already just from these first two weeks with some of these near touchdowns they've been able to have. With that said, Judy's banged up. Obviously, Tim Patrick's been out of the picture. KJ Hamler didn't necessarily have a setback, but he's also not playing after they suited him up in the preseason even. So I'm not sure what's going on there. Colton Sutton, air yards freaking God at this point. I mean, if you just look across the league, uh, let's see. Justin Jefferson, A.J. Brown, Devontae Adams, Cooper Cup, Tyler Lockett. Those are the only guys with the higher percentage of their team's air yards and Colton Sutton. But can just Russ and Sutton get it done? What do you think about this passing game? And did we maybe too suddenly anoint them as, you know, an offense that we just want all of in fantasy football? I think all of it was probably the the problem there. I mean, even I think it's good that we have clarity. I think we have strong clarity now that Corden Sutton's, Sutton's the guy. 12th in expected fantasy points so far this season. He's underperformed slightly. I think that'll turn around with Russ as your quarterback. And Jerry Judy's all the way down at 55th. So in some ways, it's helpful, I think, unless, you know, you have Jerry Judy on your roster, but it's helpful in some ways to at least say we know who to start because it could have been confusing. I don't know if Russ is the type of guy where you could say, you know what, let's just start them all and he'll, he'll sort it out by getting it to so many different guys. So I think that helps. But as far as this offense as a whole is concerned, um, 
0 for 6 scoring touchdowns when they've been in the red zone so far this year. Most penalized offense also in the NFL this year. So you take those two factors together and it explains some of the offensive problems. At the same time, if you're saying after your first two weeks, you're playing against the Seahawks and you're playing against the Texans, you would have wanted some fireworks. You would have wanted some points. This is a window that you're not going to get back. So things can be a little bit tougher against other offenses going forward. But they've had some headwinds that legitimately explain at least part of the problems they've been having on offense. We mentioned that 18-play Ravens drive that got zero points. This next most ridiculous sequence I saw last week was Russ goes deep for Colton Sutton, almost makes a one-handed catch, draws like a 44-yard DPI. Cool guy moved by Russ, goes right back to Sutton. They call, call it a touchdown, review it. No, he was out of bounds. They go back to Sutton again, no catch. And then Javante Williams was open like at the goal line for a good like three seconds, and Russ finally throws it. Bounces off a dude's head, somehow finds Kendall Hinton in the back of the end zone, and he can't get two feet down. So, again, would guess that there could be better days ahead for Russ. He is – I'm betting on the uh, bounce-back spot here. He's my seventh-ranked quarterback of the week behind only, you know, Allen Hurts, Mahomes, Jackson, Murray, and Herbert. So, sticking with Russ over that pocket-passing tier, even in a tough matchup against Nick Bosa and company. San Francisco is getting the favorite by uh, 1.5 points, game total at 45. What about Javante Williams here? Because I'm not going to talk about Alberto. Sorry, everyone. Only 63% routes last week. Couldn't quite improve upon that promising week one. But Javante, man, low-key. Week one, pretty damn split, but 65% snap rate for Javante. I know everyone wants him to take every single snap of every single game. But I'll take 65%, Kevin. Again, if this offense starts scoring like we expected it to at Russ under center, Javante has 65%. It's going to be tough to keep out of the top 12 during any given week. Yeah, I mean, he is fourth in expected fantasy points so far this season. I mean, then again, you know, Antonio Gibson is third, so it's not exactly like we're just pointing to the, the biggest and the best guys who we expected to be great this season. But for any scenario with Melvin Gordon there, minus Melvin Gordon injury, I think this is exactly what you wanted to see. And if you told me that Javante Williams – has never been tackled without at least breaking three tackles before <laughs> that. I believe you because I don't think I've ever seen him do anything where he's not breaking at least three tackles. And that is the one component you can point to with any confidence to say running back talent. So he shows you that everyone sees that uh, that is also not in doubt at all this, this season. So I think you have to feel good if, if you have him on your roster. Before we get going to the Chargers and Raiders, I want to give a quick shout out to a few sponsors. The NFL action is in full swing here at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. And if that's not enough, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped up same game parlays. Right now for every leg you add, you can boost your winnings up to 100%. With payouts bigger than ever, why bet on football anywhere else? And to make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code PFF only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility or shipping supply. See show notes for details. Also, no house advantage is changing the game by offering the most dynamic fantasy sports platform available today. Play and pick them contest versus other people for the shot at winning 250k plus in cash download the app choose a contest select your player props earn points for correct picks and climb the leaderboard for your shot to win big money every single day you can also test your skills versus the house and 20 times your entry if you hit all your picks better up to five player prop over unders or individual player matchups across every single major sports league including nfl nba mlb pga mma and nascar sign up now with promo code 
fantasypff at nohouseadvantage.com or download the app on the app stores to get a first deposit match up to $25. Make sure to check out No House Advantage today and experience daily fantasy sports redefined because it's not just how you play, but also where you play and you won't want to miss out on this. Los Angeles Chargers. Kevin, I want to give you... Hold on, hold on. Breaking news, breaking news. I just saw something here. I was scrolling Twitter. Well, and we may we may need to go back and redo the whole Bengals section again because we just got news that Joe Burrow has removed Twitter and Instagram from his phone. God damn it! So uh, I, that just I mean that throws all my I got to redo all my projections. I got got to redo the rankings, everything else. I mean, if he did it a couple of days earlier, he's already Wednesday. But um, I don't know. I, I'm moving him up. Do you have any comments on that before we get to the Chargers? I have a nice little timeline Twitter here, too, so I don't miss things like that during the show. And uh, thanks, Kevin. Gave me a freaking heart attack halfway through. So <laughs> thank you uh, for that. Hey, maybe we get uh, you know let's. Hey, I will say this, Joe Burrow, someone that we've, we've given a lot of benefit of doubt to, Kevin. Let's face it, you know, that playoff run, not, he wasn't exactly carrying them each and every game. Made some timely throws. I saw the second half of the Chiefs and everything. But, you know, t- I don't think he won the game against the Titans by taking nine sacks, a Super Bowl performance. Great though, the chase wasn't fantastic. If we get like another month of this, man, I'm just I – I don't know that the fans are going to all of a sudden be giving him as much benefit of doubt, especially given those wide receivers, if he's scrubbing the social media. So that's my big uh, take on that. But you actually have a take. I wasn't expecting. I was not expecting that. I just feel bad for Bengals fans. Can you imagine? Yeah. They're actually thinking about this and talking about this. And this is going to be like a thing for it, it, <laughs> poor, poor t- the NFL is rough, man. If you have two bad weeks, that next week before your third game starts is like an eternity, basically. Where it's Wednesday here. And these Bengals fans have been talking about Joe Burrow sacks for two days straight. And now they're going to be talking about whether or not, you know, he's on social media too much. Yeah, this is rough. It's rough. It's rough out there. So, Stay strong, Bengals fans. I heard uh, Sean Payton talk. I forget where he's been talking all over the place uh, with with this uh, off year for him. But I think he was mentioning how like how tough it is to kind of get guys to buy in the changes after a loss. And he was just explaining yeah. how best case early in the season is like went ugly, where you still got guys like all right, we won the game, but guys, we can be so much better out here. Unfortunately, since he hasn't had the chance to do that just yet, if they lose against the Jets this week, man, that's gonna be that's gonna be a rough one. I might have to go peep out my uh, Cincinnati blinds and see if they got some riots going on or anything like that. But what I was trying to lead you into, Kevin, yeah, after my ad read, you had a, uh, a Herbert very... doesn't even have social media, as far as I know. So, like, it's a you, good, it's a good transition, good transition, you, right, you, Justin Herbert? You had a very viral expected points discussion about that Chargers Chiefs game last week. Oh and yeah, yeah. I thought it made Chiefs fans en- loved it. I thought it made enough sense, but uh, you know, if you want to explain basically where that came from, what you said, and. How uh, basically all Twitter turned on you for like 20 minutes or maybe even more than that. But what I will say is what I found uh, funny is, you know, I've seen you post analytics stuff before that fans just can't wrap their minds around. Like Jeff Schwartz, big time football guy. I think he does a good job of like calling out some bullshit sometimes. But even he like wouldn't actually put down what you were saying here. Talk about why the Chargers in terms of the expected points in that game should have won comfortably against the Chiefs last week. Yeah, yeah, I think it's really more it – was, it was two different things here. One was the terminology where I called it an adjusted score. So people were having fun with that. There was actually some quality material in the quote tweets where this guy had like a picture of washboard stomach. He's like, those are my adjusted abs <laughs> and like a picture of a beautiful woman. He's like, this is my adjusted girlfriend. It's so all those sorts of things. I thought that those are great. Thumbs up. Thumbs up to the Chiefs kingdom on that one. But it was just really saying let's look at like success rates versus some of these outlier plays. Let's downweight things like – 
you know, dropped interceptions or interceptions that happened that were not turnover worthy plays, try to figure out, get a better score in that. And I think we all watched that game and thought the Chargers were probably the better team. But the reason people are really upset is maybe my score differential saying it was 26-15 was a bit wider than some people really thought. And I also put the word much in the tweet. So if you put it in a tweet, if you just say they were better, I said they were much better. And boom, that was triggered. It got thrown all over the place. But I, got, I ended up getting like hundreds of followers in it. The thing that's funny about social media is those guys don't yell at you. So they're just silently following you. And people are upset at you or yelling at you. But it, it didn't bother me at all. Uh, I went after the Giants this week, so I'll find a new fan base next week. Look, the Chiefs ended up winning that game by three points. Like, that pick six was a 14. Wasn't it, like, minus 13 EPA on, like, Yeah, yeah, it was the biggest play by almost two times versus – But here's my larger point on it. Okay, so they're playing each other. Talk about learning. We're just trying to learn here, people. They're playing each other. The Chiefs were anywhere between a a three-and-a-half and and four-and-a-half point favorite going into the game. They win by three points. Now – if that's how much better they were, if they were really three points better and that's fundamental, they would play again and the spread would be exactly the same because that's that's about as close as you can you can be. Three is the most common score differential. But I believe if they played again this week, it would be three points. It might be two and a half points because people saw the Chargers being better. So my adjusted score, I know you hate the, that terminology, right. people, but my adjusted score more accurately reflects our changing expectations, in my opinion, than the actual score. The, the adjusted wife bet is pretty awesome. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of adjusted ones. I I, I, I I couldn't help it. I was even using it myself. Like I took a picture. I went on this hike and it said there have been an average of seven drownings per year. And I said, well, how many adjusted drownings? But yeah, I was I, I was getting into the act too. I, I have to say it was it was fun. <laughs> Kevin started slandering himself. I freaking yeah, love it. That's the only way to do it. You can't be owned if you own yourself. Chargers this week facing the Jaguars seven point favorites game total at 47 and a half we'll keep an eye on the Herbert rib injury I mean I don't think I've ever seen a player like just literally give up in the middle of the play out of sheer pain and then he throws a freaking touchdown after that you know just I think it's worse than the Jameis injury like seriously yeah. I know everyone freaked out about the Jameis thing but Romo had this in the past he had a great season it's really just a pain management sort of thing the ribs man that's tough if you get hit if you get hit, because sometimes you have to throw the ball because it can affect how you release the ball. Because if you release the ball properly, you leave your rib cage completely exposed. So it, it, it could be that could be more, it could be more of a factor than people are are thinking about. Whereas everyone was flipping out about James's broken. He needed a bacchiotomy and everything else that Javis needed. It's still tough to be like too concerned about a fantasy wise just this week. I mean, I did move Herbert. You know, we've had these kind of same top six quarterbacks, and so I now have him at the bottom of that tier. But if you have Herbert, you're still starting him. If Keenan Allen remains out, get Mike Williams in the lineups yeah. of all shapes and no, sizes. I, agree. I don't care. He if could you're get knocked out. Like, he could get knocked out for for a, for a series or something, though. I mean, I'm just saying yeah. it's possible. That's it that's, is possible. Yeah. Any real Austin Eckler concerns? You know, Sony Michelle got one goal line carry, and now we're all convinced that Eckler is never going to score a touchdown again. I, I still see someone that can catch ten passes during each and get each and every week. If you want to rank him more RB eight instead of like RB three where you drafted him, that's fine. But once again, like you want to sell low on Eckler at this point? No, he's still someone that's going to be starting every single week throughout the year. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things. If you knew what you know now before the beginning of the season, you would have moved Eckler down a couple of spots, but he's plenty solid enough uh, of a player. And I don't think we have to look out and say, this is going to be a three man backfield forever. We don't know how it's going to play out for the entire rest of the season. And there's, there's a good chance that it'll, it'll narrow a bit as, you know, as, as the season goes on too. So yeah, no, no concerns, but you're a little disappointed by how things have played out, but that's the way it goes sometimes. Final notes here, our sleeper of the day powered by sleeper favorite redraft platform out there. They do some good dynasty stuff too, of course. 
Now we got Gerald Everett. He's done some really good things for us, you know, just being absolutely gassed and trying to call himself off the field and then having to pick six aside. Like, I'm not really going to blame that on Gerald Everett. With that said, we're still seeing guys like Trey McKitty and even, you know, Richard Rogers play some snaps ahead of him and run some routes. Even Donald Parham has been out of the picture with the hamstring injury, but he's going to come back and do that as well. With that said, Kevin, I remember last year looking at the Chargers tight ends and being like every single week, I saw the three guys involved. So I just kind of ignored it. But then I looked up at the end of the year and Jared Cook had like 85 targets, but he was 35 year old Jared Cook. So he didn't do anything with them. Clearly, Gerald Everett is making good use of them. Where do you stand on the Gerald Everett kind of debate here where it's like, is he going to keep producing like a top 10 tight end? Because even if he doesn't have the best usage, he's got freaking Justin Herbert under center. Or do you think, especially once Parham come back, we're looking at more of a boomer bust tight end two type? No, I think he's going to keep producing at that. But, you know, there could be some boom and bust in yeah. anyone who's in the back half of the of tight end one. So I believe in him. And I think what's important about his profile when we're talking about this team, you know, Keenan Allen's been injured. But even if Allen's not injured, Allen, uh, Mike Williams, Austin Eckler underneath. We're not talking about necessarily like explosive athletes. Everett's uh, like Gerald, the best yak guy they got on the roster. Yeah, I know that's, that's what, that, that was going to be my point. Yeah, I mean Everett is the best athlete I think in that receiver core. Other than when you know they toss in a long play down the field every now and now and again, but you're just not going to get that consistently, like the, the DeAndre Carter sort of stuff consistently. So I think he is he adds an element. If you're going to throw a screen to someone. Um, he's going to be matched up against a linebacker. He might be your best option to, to, to get yards after the catch. And we saw that be very successful. Unfortunately, it was so successful that he was worn out and uh, <laughs> didn't run the right route and everything went – well, not didn't run the right route, but didn't, didn't, didn't go right positioning anyway and you know lost the game because of it. But what happened before can't be forgotten also. Final note, Josh Palmer, if Keenan Allen's out of the picture again, we should be feeling pretty good. And just someone that you should be feeling good about in general. Talked about this with Nathan Yankee on our waiver wire show. But if Palmer's still out there, I do think you can feel good about him because even in week one, like he, he's now the definitive number three ahead of Jalen Guyton. That was the concern there. When Josh Palmer, he's only had five career games now with over 60% of the snaps, score a touchdown in four of those in. Look, even if you don't give a shit about Josh Palmer, it's just Justin Herbert's number two or number three receiver during any given week. You should feel good enough about that. So not going wild. He's my wide receiver 36 on the week, but I would stop, start Palmer ahead of guys like Tyler Lockett, Sterling Shepard, and Kevin's least favorite player in the NFL, Jacoby Myers. So let's knock out this last team here. I don't think against them. It's just like we don't need to talk about them. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. Exactly. Exactly. So Raiders sitting at 0-2 at this point. Devontae Adams, 12 yards last week. Shout out byron murphy jr shadow coverage was even moving into the slot against the man which you don't really see often out of these corners so fantastic game from byron murphy still Devonte adams he scored a touchdown but overall thoughts on this raiders passing game i will say Derek carr he's had to deal with again a really good performance from murphy and he got to face the chargers in week one I will say, though, two weeks, he hasn't gone over 300 yards. Like, I think pretty trendy, kind of like dark horse. Like, this guy could lead the league in passing yards. What have you thought about what Josh McDaniels has brought to this Raiders passing game through two weeks? Yeah, I mean, I think it's fine. You know, the big comeback aside, you can't really necessarily pin that on anyone. Maybe that hurt some of their offense in the second half, not putting the the gas pedal down there. I mean, when it comes to Derek Carr, I just don't understand why we're redefining these guys 
what is this? His, his eighth season, his ninth yeah. season or something like that. He's Derek Carr. You know, he's not going to throw even for 30 touchdowns. That's just not what he does. I mean, maybe in an outlier type of year, that's what he'll, he'll get. But I think people view him much differently than Kirk Cousins, who puts up 30 touchdowns, you know, pretty consistently. And Derek Carr, who's more like a 20 touchdown type of guy. So he is who he is. We just shouldn't have put these sorts of expectations on him. I think the more interesting takeaway in this one or trying to figure out what you're going to do is what you're going to do with Hunter Renfro here as someone who was drafted, you know, in the mid early digit rounds. Um, can you sell them now? Cause I, I don't know. I might look to do that, but I don't know if anyone's buying at this point. Yeah. It's not looking great. He might, I think I did see he was in the concussion protocol after that uh, end mm. of the game moment there, big hit by Isaiah Simmons. So we'll see what Renfro, but yeah, I mean, if Derek Carr is not going to take that step forward, there's definitely not going to be enough meat on the bone for both Waller and Renfro to get going. And Waller's kind of been living a lot on that touchdown upside so far as well the one guy i do want to talk about ahead of this matchup in tennessee raiders favored by two game total 46 josh jacobs you said it before kevin like our way of kind of cutting through the bullshit with running backs can be you know looking at what they do with the missed tackles and yards after contact uh, to an extent as well and this year josh jacobs third among 38 qualified running backs and missed tackles for us per carry he's eighth in yards after contact per carry Raiders offensive line hasn't been great. So I think that's why we haven't seen Jacobs put up the sort of counting numbers alongside it. But man, last week, like to me, probably like the single most impressive running back with the ball in his hands was Josh Jacobs after getting through the games. He's not running a ton of routes. You know, we saw Brandon Bolden in week one take that. Bolden missed week two. Amir Abdullah ended up taking uh, that role from him there. But, you know, like he still had a higher route participation rate than guys like Kareem Hunt and Tony Pollard last week. I know you said before, like we're here talking about Josh Jacobs, but like really what is the difference between like Josh Jacobs' role and someone like an Antonio Gibson or a David Montgomery or even like at the highest end of things, a Jonathan Taylor? Like I feel like Jacobs, when we see this Raiders offense get back on track a little bit in the scoring department it's not gonna be surprising if we look at the box score and see he fell into the end zone a couple times yeah yeah you you, you had me until the jonathan taylor part that's what you may have <laughs> i should have shut up i should have you may up. have overstepped there i was like yeah yeah and then i was like mm, i don't Hold know on. i don't know <laughs> i don't know about that one um yeah, yeah, he needs he needs a touchdown. If he had a touchdown, you know, if he got a rushing touchdown, which he's been under expectation so far this year, but even with expectation, he's not like a high end sort of workload guy. Whatever you start him as your second running back, and you feel okay about it. That's 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 it. That's me. That's my Josh Jacobs uh, a take. Is that you know everyone? He was one of those guys in the off season where him, David Montgomery, would be another perfect example where it becomes this thing where you say he doesn't have the upside, so then they just start moving further and further down, and it's like you could find these guys who have very little path to like a median outcome that looks any good. You could say, well, I'm still going to draft those guys before a Josh Jacobs or a David Montgomery because their high end stuff is down so low. And then lo and behold, we're, you know, you wish you had Josh Jacobs right now that you could put into your lineup rather than a lot of these other question marks who haven't ended up panning out this season. This is the benefit of not of of me not doing solo pods, Kevin. When I say something really freaking stupid, like putting Jonathan Taylor in the same set, <laughs> it, was as Josh it was just too hot. I don't it know if it was hot. stupid. I mean, you, you can get you can get paid for these sorts of takes. Okay, I got, I got so I'm flow. just reeling you in a little bit. That's the, all. The words were flowing. I was feeling good. You brought me back in, Kevin. So I appreciate you. And guess what, everyone? We're gonna be right back with more of the same. Gonna be breaking down the NFC again. This is our new pod format. Waivers on Tuesday. Kevin and I going through every AFC NFC team on Wednesday. Might have some short hitting stuff on Thursday, but we'll be back on Friday with injury stuff. My guy, Nick Botterford, and then obviously Dwayne McFarlane returns every Sunday night to review all the games. So, Kevin, before we get on the NFC and our lovely next podcast, anything else you want to get off your chest? 
No, no, no. I mean, quarterback rankings, I got on the site. I got to plug my, my podcast, Unexpected Points. Get those adjusted scores that everyone will mock so you know what everyone's <laughs> making fun of me about. And uh, that's it, man. I'm just, I'm just uh, happy, excited, glad to be doing this with you. Me too, my brother. And yes, everyone, I'm not doing the positional previews anymore. If you like that information, don't worry. I was literally using my articles as a show sheet, so that's still all on pff.com. You can get my streamers of the week, bowl calls, pissed off calls, and rankings, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end. Wide receiver, tight ends come out Thursday. Quarterback, running backs come out Wednesday. Always a great day to be great over at pff.com. For Kevin, I'm Ian. Thanks so much for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody.